we had our first kid and I was just thinking, okay, is this what life is? I'm just going to come write code for something that I'm not really passionate about. Can't really control the direction of, can't really affect if it's going to be successful or not. And so that's where I think I would say that the entrepreneurial thoughts started. I did hit a point where I knew 100% this is going to work. I'm not a handy person by any means. My wife will attest to that. And the best way to do that, and this is good advice for anybody listening, is... This is funny. I've literally... You're special, Austin. I've never told this story publicly, but there was a firm that I was related to during this process. Hi, I'm Kenny Reeder, CEO and co-founder of Kajabi. I'm 41 years old and I live in sunny Orange County, California. And got a lot of energy now too, because it must be sunny out there. Is that why? Oh yeah, for sure. It's, it's beautiful. I'm actually hoping that the weather cools off a little bit. I'm kind of sick of just constant <laughs> sunny and warm. <laughs> Understandable. You told us your name, your age, and where you're located, but how about a little bit more about your company so we understand what we're talking about here? Yeah, so Kajabi is a knowledge commerce platform. And what I mean by that is it's a software platform online. It's just a website you can go to, and we provide all of the tools you need to have an online business. So to take something that is usually knowledge in your head and sell that to others. So everything involved in that. Maybe you want to sell an online course. Maybe you want to sell a recurring like a membership site or some other kind of digital product and all of the marketing around that. So everything it would take to build an audience, let them know about you, let them find you and then let them buy your knowledge. To boil it down, it's kind of like we're Shopify, but for digital products instead of like physical widgets. And I imagine it took a lot of practice to get that down. No, no. Um, as far as making it easy to understand, I think it did pretty well. It seems like you said it a couple of times before. Yeah, I mean, it's a passionate topic of mine. I mean, I love what I do. And so it just kind of comes naturally because I think about this stuff and live and breathe it all the time. Cool. So you're sitting 41. And why don't we go ahead and just reel it back to how you end up starting the company and even further back. Have you always been an entrepreneur? I think I've always had an entrepreneur mind, but no, I haven't always been an entrepreneur. So I have a college degree in computer science. So backing it up even further, I never actually knew what I wanted to do. And it was just one of those things I was in high school and I was nearing graduation and I had no idea. And I kind of always thought in my mind I would be a doctor, not because I had any interest in actual medicine, but I thought it's a way I can help people. From what I knew as a kid, doctors made a lot of money. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll do a doctor. And then, you know, taking biology in high school and things, I'm like, you know what? I don't really see myself doing this. I don't really like this. And my dad just happened to be a computer teacher at a local just community college. And he had done that since I ever remembered. And so he would bring home, I say little, big computers at the time. Growing up being a child of the 80s, he would come home with this suitcase, which turned out to be a computer with a little two-inch green screen built into it. And that was a computer. And so I was kind of always around tech from an early age. And I decided, you know what, what if I just go into computers myself? So I got a degree in computer science. Like most people are, I was just kind of programmed that I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a degree, and then I'm going to find a job. So that's what I did. And right out of college, I had a software development job at a company here in Orange County that was building other websites for other people. And this was right around 1999. So it was kind of right before the dot-com bubble burst. So we were kind of working on some of these sites that we thought that any one of them was going to catch on and it was going to be the next big thing at the time. Yahoo was the big name on the street and we thought we were going to be the next or build the next Yahoo. So that was happening and all was going great until the bubble burst and the little dev shop that I was working for was acquired. It was probably, I didn't really know it at the time, but it was probably just going to go out of business. But we ended up being acquired by a larger firm and they kind of took all of us devs and just basically stuck us in a basement at this new company. They tried to keep the team together, but it was the environment changed. We used to work literally on the beach in Newport Beach. It was amazing atmosphere, barbecue at lunch out and ocean breeze coming in. And then all of a sudden I find myself in like this dark corner of this office building and it was really boring. And I started to think, okay, is this what life is about? I was married at the time too. We wanted to start a family. And actually during this process, we had our first kid and I was just thinking, okay, is this what life is? I'm just going to come write code for something that I'm not really passionate about, can't really control the direction of, can't really affect if it's going to be successful or not. And so 
that's where I think I would say that the entrepreneurial thoughts started. It would be awesome to say, well, at that point, I just jumped in and started a company and here we are, but that's not really what happened. I just wanted to be out of the collecting a paycheck and just writing code. I wanted to be out of that so badly that I was willing to do anything really and kind of had an interest, a passion for trading at the time and not really trading stocks, but I know a lot of people don't really have a passion for trading commodities or futures, but for whatever reason, and there's a lot of reasons, but I was really into that. And I thought this is a way I could kind of break out to quote Robert Kiyosaki. I don't know if you've read the Rich Dad books, but to break out of the employee quadrant and try to be an investor or a business owner, maybe I'll get into the trading realm. I kind of dabbled in that for a while and got really involved in trying to use my computer knowledge in order to trade the market. So I was trying to write programs that would actually trade the markets for me. There's speed bumps in life all the time, but the speed bump I encountered was, okay, this is cool. I have this program that I think is going to work and make some money trading in the markets, but I don't have any money to trade, so I can't test it. And so then it was, well, okay, how can I get other people to put up their money to trade this thing? And there's a lot of regulations involved, but I went through the routes of getting certified as a commodity trading advisor and so I can manage money. And that was a long process of studying and taking the tests and associating with a brokerage firm and all this other stuff. But I did that and all was well. Things were actually going really, really well. At the height, I was making really, really good money and there was still something missing. There was this feeling that I'm on the hook every single day. I've got this large responsibility because now I'm in control of these other people's money. And if there's a down day in the markets or they lose money, I need to call and there's nobody else that will do it. I need to call them and tell them, sorry, your account is down $10,000 or $15,000. Or in one case, I remember there was a lady who had invested a whole bunch of money. And I think I had to tell her, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars and one day it was just gone. And I'm like, this is way too much pressure. I don't know why I left the safe programming job to do this. This isn't fun either. Well, before we go any further, I just want to make sure we stay on the same time frame because there's a lot of stuff right in that. Yeah. Yeah. So what year is it now that you're talking about when you lost the money? I would say this is between, let's see, 2003 and these are just off the top of my head, 2003 and 2009 in that area was kind of the trading days. Okay. And right before that, you said you had left the other development company? Yeah. So that started in 99. That's when I graduated college. And that was just really for a couple of years before that started to fizzle out. You didn't do this like side like hustle or anything? You'd saved money from your old company and just started this new one? Yeah, the trading one, that was kind of cold turkey. I was fortunate in the fact that my father-in-law at the time, well, he's still my father-in-law, but at the time he had a like a payment processing company and I was doing some dev work for them and kind of doing it out on the side. So it was really kind of the trading thing was going on at the same time as I did have an income from doing some dev work on the side, really. Okay. Were you enjoying life a little bit more than being in the corner room of what you were doing before? I know you said that. Oh, for sure. There's a lot more stuff to deal with, but it sounds like you're in control. The freedom was immense and I loved it. 2003, we had our first son and, you know, I was able to be at home with him and I'm obviously helping my wife out with a crying baby at home, but I could architect my schedule in a way that I could spend quality time during those first couple of years and be there, but also work on my schedule. And since I worked out of the house, I would work late at night and not really do much in the mornings or I would start working, you know, when he was sleeping and things like that. That was a lot of fun and it was much better than being in the dark corner of of a dev shop. And let me just say right at the beginning, I have nothing against people that say in their minds that they want to be an employee and the best possible employee they can. I mean, I have an ultimate respect for that. I would have actually done that, I think, if the circumstances were different. I'm not one of those people that thinks everybody should be an entrepreneur. I think there's a lot of good entrepreneurs and people doing great, amazing things at great, amazing companies. But for me, I was just in this situation where I'm like, this place is dead end. It's not really going to go anywhere. And I have no passion for their product or what they do. Hopefully that helps. I feel like I came at least a little bit more helpful at the end there. No, I, I do. I think it helps. And like I said, it's like going to see a psychiatrist talking about your problems in life. You're like, we're talking with you about our <laughs> problems in business and startups. So, I mean, when we vocalize it, we talk, something else will enter our brains and, and we're like, okay, yeah, there it is. Nice. Well, I appreciate it, Dr. Rock. Well, I thought it was a lot more intimate than I thought it was going to be. Like anyone who's thinking about doing it, you'll be able to, to get involved, ask a question, you know, which... I don't have a lot of experience with other group calls, but I would assume that there's kind of a hierarchy to it. But this one, if you're in there, you're going to get your shot to ask an expert a question. So I tried to compare my group calls. I started joining random entrepreneur groups and just joining their group calls and try to see what they're like. Dude, the one you were on and all of them have kind of gone that way. They're all 10x better than any other group I've been in because... 
Become a member to find out. Yeah, I mean, because we all have different personalities and there's no right or wrong. Like I was talking to my brother about this the other day because he's got his own company. It's like, man, there's some days like you wish you weren't an entrepreneur and ahead of the company. Yeah. <laughs> and it'd be nice to close yeah. it off when you go home. Could I just get like a week or a month of that to like refresh and not be the guy in charge? But <laughs> exactly, it sounded like when you were... It was called binary trading and dealing with this. You basically had everything else you wanted, but it seems like a lot of responsibility was tugging at you and made you want to kind of stop doing that. It was kind of the constant speed bump of regulation. And I think really the turning point, honestly, was there was a point, and I'm trying to remember which year this was, but I had my own trading firm, Binary Trading and National Futures Association. So the NFA, and you kind of equate it to like the SEC on the equity side of things. But like I got a letter in the mail saying that they're auditing me, not because they suspected any wrongdoing whatsoever, but it's just a surprise audits. They want to go to these different firms that manage money and just really make sure that everything's on the up and up and everything. And I worked out of my house, my modest house in Orange County, California, and young kid or kids, I don't remember the year at the time. And they said, we're flying out and we're going to sit in your house while you go through all these files with us and show us. And so that was kind of awkward. <laughs> no, tell us how awkward that is. A lot of us are not going to go through this situation. So just tell us in more detail. It was nerve wracking and I had nothing to hide, right? It was it's just like, like if you get pulled over by a cop, and even if you ran a red light and you don't feel like you did or something like I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm reading and hearing people I knew in the industry, all these scary stories of the NFA, you know, finding investment advisors and things. And I'm sitting here going, wait, what, what's going on? And so literally, I think it was a man and a woman show up at my doorstep in suits and they had flown in from Chicago just to audit me. And it was really awkward. And we sit at my kitchen table and luckily I was prepared. I had a file folder all organized with all the things they had kind of told me ahead of time what to have available. So I had everything they needed. They had blocked out two days in case they needed it. But after day one, they said, okay, we're good. And they left. But that was, it kind of shook me up. I was like, what am I doing? Like I passed successfully. Everything was fine, but this isn't really doing it for me. And this isn't what I want to do. I wanted to provide like constant value to people and not just there's good days and then there's bad days. I wanted to think of something like kind of in the software realm. This is really when at the time, I know I'm really dating myself, but like the quote web 2.0 movement was out. It's like, okay, the web is no longer new, but now like what's the new iteration of the World Wide Web? clean design and software as a service and things like that. So I was like, it would be awesome to have a software platform that could provide real value to people and they would just pay monthly for or annually for. And so that kind of was the first time that I had really thought about doing that. But that's really what led to Kajabi. And you said you were making good money at the time. Can you give us an idea? I mean, were you talking about like a couple hundred K? It's embarrassing to say this, but it was much more than that. Like wow. it wasn't just like a comfortable living. It was like a, I almost feel guilty kind of income. Cause it's funny that like, as I say this, I haven't really told the story much. No one's it listening. Don't worry. Feel, yeah. 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 <laughs> it kind of makes me feel like, wait, was I stupid? Like, did I really walk <laughs> right, yeah. a really good thing? You know, like, wait a second. It was very comfortable. And I would love to say it was all just because I envisioned the future being better, but it was just kind of like, I had that feeling that this is almost too good to be true. And at any time this could change, there's no real security to it. I was thinking, you know, maybe this is just like a really good period. And obviously this is before like the whole mortgage crash. A lot of people were writing mortgages and making a whole bunch of money. And as we all know, that market just dried up instantly. And then it really had a negative effect on a lot of people. It was kind of like, not that I foresaw that event happening, but I was thinking, okay, what's going to change? This can't just sustain forever. Did it end up kind of, because I don't know about the commodity market necessarily. If you would have stayed even longer, would it still everything been okay? Or was it affected by like the downturn and the recession? I mean, there's probably a lot of firms today still doing really, really well in that, in that market and kind of commodities and futures are built. So like they're not really necessarily correlated to the stock markets in general or, or the nationwide economy or anything, because you can make money when things are going down or when it's going up or sideways or whatever. But in my particular case, there is <laughs> something, this is funny, I've literally you're special awesome. I've never told this story publicly, but there was a firm that I was related to during this process and in no other sense other than they just cleared our transactions. You need to find a larger clearing firm that's going to actually clear the money and make sure the money's in the right place and all that stuff. It came out completely after I left, but the founder and CEO of that company kind of copped and up to the fact that he had been embezzling customer money for years and years and years, like 20 years or something. And it actually turned into later such a crazy story that they did do like CNBC did like an American Greed episode on him. So that firm completely imploded. And if that had happened while I was there at my firm, although there was 
obviously nothing to do with any impropriety or anything, but like I would have been without a clearing firm and it probably all my customers at the time would have left. So in hindsight, I mean, hindsight's always 2020, but I'm like so glad that things worked out like they did. I could definitely understand. Like you feel like you have big brother over you the whole time when you're trying to be an entrepreneur and do this. And is this like, even though you're doing everything by the book, it'd be an annoyance. And I could see that that one time being an issue. (laughs) Exactly. And also at the time, just kind of as a hobby on the side, I was really learning about internet marketing. And man, I'm seeing that there's people out there making money online. And I wanted to use those principles and those practices in my trading business. And it's just like roadblock after roadblock. Oh, you can't say this. That's breaking the promotional guidelines. Oh, you need to disclaim this. And even with all the disclaimers in the world on the page, nope, that's an income claim. You can't do that. And it was just really, really hard. I think that's a perfect kind of segue before we jump into Kajabi. Like, Explain that in more detail because some people, I mean, we got an international audience. They might not understand that there's certain things you can and can't say whenever you're trying to market and find new client for your trading company. Oh yeah, big time. There's, And I think the NFA, I mean, kudos to them because they really want to make sure that they don't have any slime balls that are taking people's money and doing bad things with it. So they just are very strict in terms of if you're a commodity trading advisor, what you're allowed to say, even if you're allowed to say, okay, here's what happened in the past and not even implying, I think it's going to happen in the future. You have to be really, really careful with that. So let's just, and this is completely hypothetical, but if I wrote a computer program or a trading system that could make 50% year after year, and it had done that for the last 20 years, I can't really just go out publicly and say that without a whole bunch of hoops to jump through and disclaimers and things, because that would kind of imply that maybe I think it's going to continue. And so I love it. I'm not anti-regulation at all because you don't want people taking little old ladies money and saying it's a sure thing and losing it all and people betting their retirement accounts and all that kind of junk. But in me as a business owner, I feel like my hands are tied a little bit. And a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm learning about all these marketing strategies and I have to run them all by like a regulatory authority to get them approved before I'm allowed to do it. It sounds like almost everything would be perfect. Like most people would be super happy, especially based on the amounts of money you're making. Right. But then at the same time, it's your own company but they're telling you what you can and can't do. And you understand the reasoning, but then it's like you said, hands are tied behind your back. Yeah. I could see that getting frustrating. So it sounds like at least when you exit and everything, everything went well the whole time while you're doing binary trading. No, I mean, there was definitely up periods and down periods for sure. And kind of during that time, a brokerage that I work closely with, again, unrelated to that clearing firm that later went under, they needed some kind of office management help. They didn't really have any software that could track, okay, their brokers and their customers and the account levels and things like that. So me having the computer background, I was like, you know what, I can help with that. I can write some software that can manage your day-to-day business as well. And so I started kind of doing that on the side and giving them advice as well. So it was kind of like, okay, my trading business is going, but I'm also writing software. And it was kind of scratching an itch because I really did have a passion for creating software and writing software. So I was doing that, eventually negotiated a deal with them where I was so integral and the software I was writing was so integral to their brokerage business that I could have a piece of their basic revenue. Honestly, that's really where most of the lucrative stuff came from. So it wasn't like I was making a whole bunch of money off of just managing direct customers' money, but I was kind of getting a little slice of a big brokerage pie. Yeah. Sounds like a really, really big pie, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's where most of it came from because it seems like, did you only even have a few clients and then, but the most of it was that money was generating from the software? No, for a while there. I'm trying to remember the most clients I ever had at one time. I never want to misspeak. It was less than a hundred. Like I literally had to call and talk to them all on the phone and things like that. So it's not like I just had mass amounts or anything. That's still a good amount. But I guess even when dealing with those people, like you were saying, sometimes it'd be not feel great having to call them and tell them they lost all that money. Did you have issues with that too? You would just get kind of tired of having to deal with that because it seemed like it'd be, you feel like you're in a wheel just doing it over and over. Yeah, exactly. It just, it was not rewarding at all. You know, it really wasn't. And it was, it's funny. I wish I had some like amazing stories about how somebody got mad and yelled at me or anything. It was, everybody was always totally cool and stuff. Except, I mean, maybe there was a couple of times there was some disappointment when large dollars were lost, but I had done such a good job at disclaiming everything ahead of time and not over promising or anything. It's not like anybody ever thought that anything was my fault. It was just like always like kind of commiserating, like bummer, this sucks. You know, I would have to tell them. I mean, I had my own personal money trading the same thing because I always wanted to be able to say, look, I have money doing the exact same thing your money's doing. So that was good. It was always kind of like, yep, shoot, we both lost money this week. Well, that was good. I mean, I don't know if there'd be many people who would do that same thing because that would make me feel really good as a client. It sucks that you both lost money, but you both can feel the pain. Yep, exactly. That was just kind of a personal philosophy of mine that I have to put my money where my mouth is, literally. 
So over time, you kind of got tired of the regulation, obviously, and dealing with maybe like Big Brother behind you. So were you just kind of slowly looking for something else as you were looking on the internet for marketing things? So really what happened was I kind of knew I wanted to do something else. I wasn't really sure what that was, but I wanted to be in control of the airplane. By this point, I was a valued advisor to this brokerage firm, but I was clearly not calling the shots and I knew that my future was basically in their hands. At any time they could say, you know what, you know, this deal we've kind of worked out, let's, we need to part ways or we need to change it. So I started really thinking, okay, what do I want to do with my life? And a friend of mine at the time, we would kind of meet for lunch and just talk about different ideas. Like what can we do on the side? Are there any businesses we can start and things like that? It's really, really funny how it happened, but because especially considering like the levels of income that I was telling you that I was making. But one of the ideas that just really excited me for whatever reason was a kid's car wash toy. And I know that sounds really, really crazy to those of you listening. But by this time, I had three small children at home. This was about, just to set the context, it was about 2009. And I had built this toy for them out of PVC pipe. And I would take it out front of the house, plug it into the hose, and it would just mist water down. It was really nothing special, nothing complex about it. There was some little spray nozzle head things on it and it would spray out water. And they would ride their bikes through it and their scooters and things like that. And they wanted to play with this thing all the time. So I would bring it out, plug it in, sit on a lawn chair and just watch as they would just kind of go through it. Pretty soon we were friends with a lot of different people on the neighborhood and things, and they would all come over and want to play as well. So it was like evenings, weekends, it was always this crazy spray, I called it. So in one of these lunches, kind of just brainstorming business ideas, it was like, oh man, we should just sell these things because everybody keeps asking and that would be kind of fun. I was like, it's not a big risk for me because I've got money coming in, you know, and I'm not necessarily going to up and quit to be a sprinkler toy king or anything like that. But I'm like, you know, it'll just be a fun diversion from the stress of managing money for other people. And really soon I realized that would be way too hard to start a physical product business and actually manufacture and source the parts and ship big pieces of PVC pipe all across the country or the world or whatever. I'm just like, you know, that's pretty cost prohibitive and time prohibitive too. And so quickly came to the conclusion, you know, I want to sell videos online about just how to build these. It's really easy. It's one afternoon going to Home Depot, buying some parts. I went in my backyard and assembled it in a day. I'm like, this is a perfect thing to just teach somebody else how to do. It requires no skills. You know, I'm not a handy person by any means. My wife will attest to that. So really, that's it. I kind of went down this road of let's just sell the plans for this and then realized at the time in 2009, there was not just a one-stop place to sell videos online. Sure, YouTube was just becoming popular and everything, but I couldn't make any money off of that. And there wasn't really a way to do it. And being a programmer, I was able to piece together a way to do it using a lot of different plugins and having to get a merchant account and a payment processor and plugging everything together. But it was really, really hard. And so the light bulb went on at that moment, which later turned into Kajabi. And it was, there needs to be an easy one-stop shop online to sell knowledge, whether it's training on how to build a kid's sprinkler toy. And now it's grown into so much more than that. As you're brainstorming and putting all this stuff together, are you thinking, hey, let me just go ahead. I'm getting tired of doing the trading and I'm going to focus all my energy and trying to figure out how to build this internet company? Yeah, I think in my mind at this point, there wasn't a clear delineation like, okay, the, the trading needs to stop. I was able to do both. And it wasn't even really moonlighting. I mean, the brokerage firm I worked with and for was based out of Chicago. I'm here in Southern California. I kind of made my own hours anyways. And I'm like, you know what, instead of taking a two or three hour break during the day to go ride my mountain bike or whatever I had been doing, I'm like, I'm going to hack away at this new platform to sell your knowledge. I was really doing both. And I didn't even consider dropping the trading thing entirely until Kajabi really started to take shape. And I was like, you know what, this is going to work. And there was a moment, some entrepreneurs I know say during the journey, like they were just still unsure of themselves or things, or I don't know if this is going to work. I did hit a point where I knew 100% this is going to work what I built here is going to solve customers' problems. And there's people out there that need this and there's no other way for them to fix this need without Kajabi. So it is going to work. And then that's at the point where I kind of told the trading guys, you know, hey, I'm going to part ways. You felt that way because you kept looking on the internet. There's nothing like Kajabi, like you were saying at the time that you built. I mean, like how much was it done complete? Was it just like, had you told anyone about it or you just tested it all out and all the kinks were worked out or how far were you into this process? So at the time, looking back, you can call it strategy. I call it being fortunate at the right place at the right time and things. But I realized I am not in internet marketing space. Like there's clearly people that are already making money online. None of them know me, you know, 
I was afraid of just building and putting a lot of time and effort into a platform and then just saying, okay, here, you can buy it. Please buy it. You know, I promise you it's good. I didn't really want that feeling of opening up to no kind of pent up demand or nobody knowing who I am or knocking on doors and trying to do individual sales to try to get people to know about this product. So the strategy was meeting some people that were already in that space. And the best way to do that, and this is good advice for anybody listening, is find people who are kind of where you want to be or they have influence over people that you might want to sell something to and befriend them, do things for them, help them out with no reciprocation expected. There was one guy who was kind of prolific in the space and he did a blog post saying that he needed some tech help. So I reached out to him and we set up a phone call and it turned into some tech help for him. And because of him, he was able to introduce us to somebody that was even larger in the space. And it was kind of like meet the right people and then do favors for them. And really that's what happened. In some of these conversations with some of the people we were meeting, it was like, oh, you're planning to launch an online course about some particular topic? Well, guess what? I'm building a platform that can help you with that. Why don't you use Kajabi to do that? So before Kajabi ever sold to the public, some of these strategic kind of bigger name people in the industry were able to use the early beta versions of it for selling their own products. That was really the key to the initial success was these people already had a following, they already had influence, and they came out with a product that looked so much better than anything that they had ever done before. Like I said, there was no other platform that allowed this. At the time, they were just hiring developers to kind of hand code custom solutions every single time that they would launch a new product or sell a new course. And all of a sudden, there was just this beautiful looking course experience for their students. And at the bottom of every single page, it said powered by Kajabi. And that powered by Kajabi was a little link to kind of an ominous looking page that just said Kajabi. I don't even remember what the slogan was or anything, but it basically was just kind of like, you know how box office, they'll tease a movie that's coming out like a year from now. So there's zero information. There's no trailer yet. It's just kind of like an ominous looking like poster. And it has a, like a date, July, 2020. And it was kind of a page like that, but it had a form for them to put their email address in. And it was just like, look, if you want to be notified when you can experience the power of Kajabi for yourself, put in your email address. And we started getting so many people signing up. I think at its peak, we got 8,000 pre-registrations, just people saying they're interested in Kajabi, even though they didn't even really know what Kajabi was, but they had just experienced it as a learner, as a student of one of these other influencers' products. So that's the key to the initial success of Kajabi. On the day one, when we decided, okay, we're going to sell this to the public, we had a list of 8,000 people that had already said that they wanted to buy it. Well, damn, 8,000 is a lot, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So over what time period was this? It was quick. So I think the first influencer we helped was January of 2010. And we actually finally launched to the public in October of 2010. So we're talking 10 months, like 8,000 people. Becoming a patron was something that I was always like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I was delaying it for whatever reason. And the other day I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. And, uh, and that's it. So I'm very happy with it. Nice. Well, thank you for joining. So was there anything holding you back? It was just uh, taking the time to do it. Gotcha. Well, thank you for taking the time to do it. So um, where are you located? Here in Bolivia, in South America. Cool. Well, I think you're our first Patreon member from South America. So thanks for that again. And um, I don't know if you just saw, I just upped the group calls from once a month to twice a month. So I think that's actually where probably you'll get the most value of the membership personally. Doing the group calls, you guys get to actually, you know, ask our past guests questions and I'm just there to facilitate it. So were you organized when you were reaching out to these people? Did you like, I guess maybe it was just Excel. I don't think that Google Sheets then. You're doing these things that hopefully that there's something that they'll ask you about or when you're talking about Kajabi a little bit, but like, how did you stay organized when you're reaching out to these people? Because I think that's important. If someone's trying to do something similar, maybe not shotgun approach or maybe that is, but at least being organized when you do it. Yeah, I would love to say I had some technology. Tool <laughs> you did it. <laughs> but I, I literally had yellow legal pads and that's what I did. I just wrote everything on yellow legal pads. And it's really funny that you mentioned this because a couple weekends ago, I was in my home office just clearing out and I found all of them. I still have all of the original notes from brainstorming sessions, from initial mock-ups that I had drawn up of Kajabi. And it's really cool. It was a nice trip down memory lane. But yeah, so really that was the extent of my organization was you know what? There's these people that I'm going to offer to do things for them. And there was zero contract involved. It wasn't like a freelance gig or anything, nothing formal. It was just like, oh, you need help registering a domain and hooking it up to your WordPress site. Sure. I'll help you. You know, that kind of thing. 
Well, were you just searching like in the internet or Twitter or like what were you searching when you're trying to find these people? Well, it's funny. It's like back then, internet marketing was a major subculture. There was like personalities. There was like celebrities of people that went online. They did these videos. They did these massive launches, you know, of products. And there was people that followed along like they were like athletes or musicians or something. And so it wasn't like I had to really go search for people to follow. It was kind of really clear, hey, who the influencers in that space were. That concept of selling and marketing online is much more mainstream now. You know, I mean, you see HubSpot and Marketo and Wistia, and you just see all the quote legitimate companies using all these principles that the subculture of people were preaching way back in 2006, 2007, eight back then. Well, you understand who to reach out to, but were you just blindly emailing them asking if there's anything you're going to do to help or like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. No, I guess this is where luck or being fortunate or blessed or whatever you want to call it is, because literally it was just people that I followed. One of the guys, Jason, I just read his blog. He was prolific. He was out there. He was a personality. He was a character. He was always posting funny videos and things like that. And so literally one day on his blog, he's just like, hey, I'm looking for a recommendation. Anybody know somebody that can help me with tech stuff? And I replied, I'm like, yeah, I can help. What do you need? And, you know, and that's, he's like, you want to jump on the phone? Sure. Okay. And then that was it. And I called him. And that was these other people where they like in message boards and stuff. Cause that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like that makes sense on the one blog post. Yes. So the next one I had mentioned earlier that the first guy, Jason, it had introduced us to somebody else. That next person, well, I followed him on Twitter and he tweeted, I need some help. And then it was kind of like in the initial exchange, it was like name drop the first guy. So, oh, hey, we know Jason. I know from your videos and things that you know Jason as well. And so it was kind of like this second degree of separation type thing. And he's like, oh, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, Jason's a stand-up dude. And if you know him, you're good. I don't know if you were like actively searching for other people too, or you're just always active on there. What someone else could do who's listening now, if they're trying to do that. Yeah. I think if I was to boil that into advice for somebody else, I mean, it really is the concept of marketing to the front row. It's like, if you're selling anything, I don't care if you're an entrepreneur or not really, if you have a product, if you can get somebody who's an influencer to use that product and have other people that look to them for influence, see them using your product, you're going to be in a much better spot. Like I build a golf club and I'm not a golf company. I've never had a track record of selling golf clubs, but I get Tiger Woods to win the Masters using my golf club. I mean, people are going to start paying attention. In terms of actually reaching out to people, I think it's just being generous and being human and you know, not being a stalker or anything. And nobody wants that. There were some miserable failed attempts at reaching out to people. There was one in particular, a guy that was in the space that was awesome to watch. I mean, it just captivated my attention. And I was like, I see myself one day, I'm going to work with him because he's a genius. He's a marketing genius and his personality is great. I remember this is like when the first version of the iPhone came out, it was back then. It was like, what if I propose I FedExed them an eight and a half by 11, you know, like one of those FedEx envelopes. And it was like, look, here's some mock-ups of an iPhone app that you can use for your content. And, you know, I would love to help you do this and got shot down. I got a response back, a handwritten response, not by him, but by like an assistant or something, just thanks, but no thanks kind of thing. And I just remember going, okay, well, that didn't work. So I don't want it to sound like it was just, oh yeah, I just reached out to somebody and they said, yes, and here we are. It was a process. Moving forward, I mean, if I was giving somebody advice, I would say just understand that there's going to be speed bumps thrown at you, but the bottom line in life is just provide value. I mean, any company, I don't care what business you're in, needs to provide value and it actually has to solve a problem. The mission statement can't be to make as much money as possible. It has to be to help the customers. The good thing is that you had a product, Kajabi, that you thought was actually good and that could help people, right? Versus if you were just doing, I don't know, a company that already had something similar, then they're not going to be as intrigued. The first thing was making sure that you had something that was good. And then it was going out and finding the people and influencers that could, I guess, help at least influence it. Yeah. And also just knowing the pain that the customers experience, because I went through it myself with the crazy spray toy. Like I remember losing a lot of sleep because I'm sitting up there trying to just find a way to charge for a video and then not let people who hadn't paid watch the video. It seems so easy now in this day and age, but like it was a lot of work. And so I was sitting there thinking, wait a second, if it's that hard for me, all these guys who are already successful selling their videos, I can only imagine how much money and time they're spending behind the scenes to pull off what they're doing because they're doing it all custom and they're every single time hiring developer to do it. So I already had experienced the pain myself. And so I think that made it easier to find a solution. And once I found a solution that fixed my problem, and by the way, if you're curious, I mean, I did sell the crazy spray and, and people did buy the plans to build the sprinkler toy. I knew that if I could find a solution to that problem, I'd be well on my way.
Are there any other like negative stories that you can remember when you're reaching out? Because I know some people that might stop them, right? It sounds like you looked up to that one dude who sent that out and they're like, no thanks, but that'll happen. <laughs> it's a numbers game, like you're saying. It's just like, you have to just keep going and pretend like it didn't happen. But was there anything else that kind of slowed you down when you're reaching out to people to try to get them to use the product initially? Not really like specific examples of like the handwritten letter of thanks, but no thanks. But I'm, there were a lot of just direct messages on Twitter, for example, just trying to have some kind of direct dialogue and just no response. I'm sure I could just scroll through my Twitter now and look back through that period and see a lot of attempts, you know. Like how long did it take to start getting some wheels and going and making money from Kajabi? And real quick too, after you had started Kajabi, with the binary trading, that was totally done. Like, was that spigot totally turned off with all the money that was coming from you when you told those guys you're going to focus on this? Yeah. So there was a period where I was kind of flying blind. It was somewhere in 2009 and I don't want to misquote it, but it was before we did the public launch, but it was after some of these big guys had already used the product for success. So I had already validated, okay, this is valuable. And like, they just used it. They made a lot of money and they sweared by Kajabi. Like they said, wow, it was amazing. And it made my life easier. And so I kind of had that validation already, but yeah, then there was just a cold turkey. Okay, let's just stop this arrangement because I always want to, if I'm making money, I want to provide value for that money. I didn't want to pull one over on anybody and it was never my intent to moonlight or anything like that. So it was just like, okay, if my passions are over here and I think I could sustain my family, I'm going to make the switch. When you're doing this, making the switch, did you have anyone else helping you make this? Because I'm seeing co-founder on here and Tell us like financially when you started making money and like how many people were working there. Were you still working out of your house? Just give us a little bit more in depth. So during those times, one of the influencers we met, and I say we, so it was a friend, Travis and I, initially who were kind of brainstorming this stuff. We met this third individual who was very much an influencer and he was going to be the first kind of guinea pig to use Kajabi. We actually, the deal with him was, hey, we'll help you launch your product on Kajabi. And that's kind of our beta test of the platform but then you can partner with us on Kajabi and like when we actually sell it. So there was three of us at the time and we built up the waiting list, like I mentioned earlier, that interest list of 8,000 people. In October, we did the launch and immediately on day one, since there was so much pent up demand, we had a bunch of customers signing up and there's lots of stories in there. There's ups and downs and things in terms of stabilizing. But from that date forward, we've been profitable and cash flow positive and things. So from that day, October 14th, 2010, until today, the subscription revenue we get from customers sign and paying for Kajabi has been more than any of our operating expenses. So along the way, very early on, we had bought out that third partner. And then just recently, earlier this year, I actually bought out Travis. So now it's just solo. Can you tell us how that works with buying out co-founders? And I don't know, you're talking about Travis being your friend. I mean, I don't know if the other guy was a friend. Like, how do you work through that and deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of like I was talking about earlier when I'm working on something, but I knew it wasn't my passion. I knew it wasn't kind of where I was, quote, supposed to be. It just became really clear. And I think it's like that in a lot of different businesses. I mean, a lot of people say that a business partnership is like a marriage, but I really don't think so. I think a marriage is special. I think you're vowing before God that I'm going to work this out at all costs and things like that. You don't just willy-nilly decide, you know what, I want to do something else. But in a business partnership, I mean, you can do that. Some people do that in a marriage too. It doesn't mean it's right. Well, exactly. (laughs) My personal beliefs and I'm not going to do that. But yeah, so it's kind of like, look, the world might be a different place today than it was when the company started. The company looks different. It's growing more than I feel comfortable with or vice versa. Let's figure out a way so our lives can be how we want them to be. You're not stuck is what I'm saying. You hear stories of marriages all the time saying one spouse wakes up and says, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And and like, of course, some people do just walk away at that point and some other people just stick it out. But I think in a business partnership, you have the option to say, you know what, I'm going to go chase my dream. I realize actually now I'd rather be doing something else. How does that come up to you and them dealing with that? I mean, everyone leaves for different reasons. Maybe they think they found a better job that they could have, or they're just not interested anymore. Can you tell us in more detail, like how you deal with this and getting over it as far as just like you had two co-founders and now you're the sole guy? To me, it's not an emotional thing at all. It was just, I've got three children at home. They're actually growing up now, teenagers, but Kajabi's my fourth child. Like I care about this place so much and the team here and everything. And I just want to see what's best for Kajabi. 
in the business partner relationship and things like that, it's nothing to mourn. I trust that it's better now than it was, right? Like for every party involved. I don't think it's a matter of getting over something, but like my goal is just to grow the company and to provide more and more success to our customers. Who's the first co-founder who left? Oh, the first influencer, Andy, way back in the day. When Andy left, was everything mutual for everybody? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the reason I'm trying to ask. I'm just trying to figure out like how we can work that out if we have co-founders and maybe someone kind of wants to leave and you don't know how to deal with it well. It sounds like you're dealing with it well. That's why I want to find out a little bit more about it. So I think the key is, and this is related to marriages, I think, because it helps both. It's just communication. Don't let resentment build up with a partner or you know a business colleague but just talk things through and have mutual respect, right? So if somebody doesn't like something or doesn't want to do something, just talk about that. And I think keeping things to yourself can cause problems. And so I think that would be my advice is just talk. In both situations that we just talked about, it's ended with a mutual, like everybody's happy. You know, there wasn't a loser. It was literally a win-win. And I think there's a lot of situations in life where you can find a win-win through communication. Well, like any fight, no matter what business or whatever, like since we're kind of harping back on both, it's always based on miscommunication, right? Yep. It just sounds like maybe you're good at being able to bring that up. Even so whoever's listening, if, if there's resentment against somebody in the business, if they're not going to say something and it's festered up, like you said, then that's usually when the bad breakups happen in personal or, you know, sexual lives, right? So, or business lives, obviously. So yep. yeah, I guess you're trying to dissect that and understand that because again, unfortunately, most of them don't end that way. Well, the first couple of years, it sounds like everything's been positive so far as far as like growth, right? For Kajabi ever since you started? Financially, yeah. Yeah, financially. As an entrepreneur, you get that bug that you're never satisfied. And like looking back, do I wish the growth was higher? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And do I think there's things like different levers I want to be pulling to skyrocket that growth? Absolutely. But, you know, looking back, I can't complain. I mean, it's been great. So what's been the greatest part? Is there anything else that you want to keep going on about the co-founder stuff oh, yeah, that just no. done well? I want to make sure that we get any points that you think are important across to everyone who's listening as far as growing Kajabi. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing I'm proud of isn't the profitability. It's not the money. It's not the growth. It's the lives that are being changed. And that sounds maybe like a soundbite or something or like something I'm supposed to say, but it's not. It's really a real motivator that gets me here every day. I mean, the reason why I want to show up every single day is because I see the lives being changed of people. And you could ask yourself, well, how's a website changing people's lives? But we see people from all walks of life, from all over the world, finally having an outlet to get their message out there, whatever that message might be. Maybe they just know something like how to build a kid's sprinkler toy or how to dunk a basketball or how to do a wheelie on a bike. And now they have a way to sell that course, but there's so much more. There's Maybe they've gone through a painful breakup or maybe an illness and they're able to help others teaching kind of some things that they had learned to cope. Then we have people that are just business owners who maybe it's a brick and mortar business, but they have a hair salon and they're like, okay, cool, but I'm a good hairstylist and my chair is always full and I'm always cutting hair, but there's got to be more to life. But I only have two hands and one pair of scissors. You know, I can't really do much more other than hiring more stylists. But now Kajabi gives them a way to maybe teach other people all around the world how they could have a thriving hairstyling business, for example. So that's a real customer story is we have somebody who teaches, here's everything I learned building a hair salon and here's how I marketed it and here's how I used Instagram to gain following and customers. So we see these lives change. I went to an event and spoke at an event a couple years ago, two years ago, I think, and a lady came up pushing her husband in a wheelchair and he had some kind of disease which prevents him from being on his feet, but he kind of like made this motion to her and she helped him gingerly stand up on his feet and he was very shaky. It was clear he doesn't really do this often and he was crying and then she was crying and he just wanted to stand up to give me a hug because he's like, you don't understand what Kajabi has done and I'm confined to this chair and now I can get my message out there with the world. And that's powerful. I mean, it's a real motivator when money's great, but that's priceless. That story right there, it seems like it'd be kind of odd. I mean, it's cool. I didn't, were you expecting that when that happened? Oh, not at all. It was after the talk and we had a little Kajabi room where we had some of our team there that was helping customers if they wanted to sign up for a free trial or whatever, or get a demo, they could do that. But you know, no clue. I had never heard this man's story before. I couldn't honestly even tell you what he was teaching or anything, but it was something so powerful that he did that. And I sit here and think, are there any software platforms that I pay for as a customer that I would walk up and want to hug the guy that made it. <laughs> you know, probably not. Like I just don't have that emotional connection with software, but I see that time and time again with Kajabi. Like it's a powerful thing because I think it gives people finally a platform for their voice. 
Well, at least I could see early on, I could get it. Like some of these people feel good about like if they did a course and say the people come back to them and they feel important because, okay, that you actually helped that person, right? And they're happy about it and you got money for it. So it's kind of like a win-win. But I mean, over time, I said originally you were the only person doing this, right? These online courses like this? Oh, there was people selling online. I'm never going to claim, you know, Kadabi was the first to allow people to sell courses. (laughs) But, you know, but it was the easiest and it was, I mean, it has become what it is now is all in one. There's still to this day, it's really near and dear to my heart, like the category knowledge commerce. It's like, everything you need to have an online business. There's a lot of course platforms out there today. There's a lot of sites you could go and just film some videos and sell a course. But when you really think about how do you actually get the word out and how do you actually become successful at that, it's a lot more than just the actual product that you're selling. The videos teaching how to build Crazy Spray, for example, you need to build an audience. How do people find out about you? You're probably not going to do well just buying Facebook advertising and just sending them to your checkout page that says, pay me $27 for this Crazy Spray course. You're probably not going to convert a lot of buyers and you're going to waste a lot of money on paid media. You need to really kind of understand some fundamentals of marketing and building an audience, building a tribe of people that look up to you and realize that you're an authority on a subject matter. So there's a lot of things involved with that, but we make that easy because we build it into the platform. We call them pipelines, but they're like one click and it builds out like this marketing pipeline for you. All of a sudden, you might have this knowledge in other platforms and in other people trying to do this, they need to become a technology expert to plug a bunch of tools together. They need to become a marketing expert and really learn how to communicate and get their word out. And here at Kajabi, we're really just trying to simplify that and saying, no, we want you to focus on your content and your area of expertise. And you stay in your lane and we'll stay in your lane and together we could guide you to success. It sounds like you were one of the first ones then, right? Because yeah. you couldn't find anybody else. We were one of the first all-in-one SaaS software platforms to do that. And just make it simplistic enough. Because even though like, I could probably figure it out, obviously you figured it out because you built it. But even you kind of figure it out on WordPress, like a lot of the world has no idea how to do any of that. Because I've done a couple of websites, I can figure it out. But it's like you were saying how much time and effort is it worth it And when you add it up? More than likely not. It just sounds like yeah, you're obviously now more of an all-in-one thing that helps these people where even, could you say my grandma could go on there and make something and do it? Yeah, for sure. It's really funny that you mentioned grandma, but like there was a lady that I'm not going to attempt on a podcast to guess her age, but she was up there. She was, you know, the word grandma reminded me of her, but she actually came in and she had never used Kajabi before. And we kind of put a camera on her and we filmed her using Kajabi for the first time and trying to figure it out just to kind of see how it would go. And she has had success. So for sure. I mean, that really our mission is to make it accessible for anybody. The only barrier is you got to know something, you know, and that others would find valuable. And the message that we want to make sure that everybody knows is that everybody knows something that's valuable. You don't need to be an expert. You could just have a little slice of information, but as long as that slice of information is more than your prospective customer knows about a topic, you're an expert. So why the name Kajabi? Yeah, it's just, you know, coming out of the web 2.0 and the dot coms with all these made up names. It was a word that we owned the domain for that was kind of catchy. Oh, damn, that's pretty good. I didn't know there's something that I haven't missed out. I'm like, I'd realize I'm like, I never asked that if there was something that was standing for an acronym. It's really funny. So it was just kind of a cool word. So used it later found that some reference that it was an aboriginal word meaning to take flight. And it was just like serendipitous, right? Right. It's like, whoa, that's exactly what we want our customers to do is to take flight and start selling their knowledge. And so in a nice... That's what you tell people now you knew that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, (laughs) we knew that. There's this aboriginal word and we. it was complete luck, but it's amazing. So that's... I've never even heard the word aboriginal. Is that it? Oh, yeah. So I'm learning something new every day. Okay. Yeah. No, like native Australian. I think that the Aborigines. Okay. Well, that's why we all have Google, you know, so we can figure things out. The guy said Aboriginal. I don't know what that was. Yeah. (laughs) Looking back, is there anything else when you built up Kajabi and your other companies like tips or anything else that the entrepreneurs listening could learn from? Yeah. I mean, there's so many, I mean, I could talk for days on, <laughs> on these topics, but really don't be so unsure of yourself. Don't be a perfectionist. We see it time and time again with customers who are scared to put out their first video or their first course. Cause they're like, Oh, it's not perfect. I could do better. You know, don't overthink things, just put things out and iterate, make things better after the fact you're not risking anything by doing that. It's not like if you put out something that's bad, everybody's just going to block you and never listen to you again. So it's like momentum is only going to take place if you start. 
So that's a big one. Another one I kind of alluded to with the category is good advice for anybody, especially if you're going into areas or industries that already have competition. Don't just try to do better than the competition. Sometimes a losing battle, if you're coming up against an incumbent, you know, somebody who already controls a space and you're trying to tell the world, you're like the little mouse saying, I'm better, I'm better. Like, no, you don't, don't do that. Try to think of a new category. How can you operate in a slightly different way? So you're not even lumped in with the rest of the competition, but it's kind of a whole new blue ocean and you've got your own pond to fish in. So you're totally differentiated. That's a principle that we live by here at Kajabi, but I think it's applicable to a lot of different businesses. If someone's listening, I'm seeing newkajabi.com is your website, right? Yep. That's in the process of changing just to Kajabi. So when we launched in 2010, all the product I was telling you about before, since then we have completely rebuilt from scratch an entirely new code base and a new version of the platform and basically a superset of the old one. It includes all the functionality the old one had, but so much more and it's cleaner and simpler and it works on mobile and all this different stuff. So we launched that in 2015 and we called it new Kajabi at the time because the old one was still around and still had a bunch of customers. And now we're finally in the season where, okay, this is our flagship product. It's the only one we're selling. So let's get back to just Kajabi. We're still in the process, but in the coming weeks, you'll see that go away and just be Kajabi.com. So if someone's listening and you're saying if they are an expert in a certain field, they should just go to your website and just kind of check it out. And the idea is that they can post videos and try to build a following through it and get paid to do it. Yeah. What's the best thing you can suggest for anyone who's listening who's like an entrepreneur? I would suggest, aside from just hearing somebody else who was an entrepreneur and built something, but if what I'm talking about interests you, just go to kajabi.com and sign up for the free trial. There's a 28-day challenge there too that we kind of guide you and give you all the training. Hold your hand basically for 28 straight days while you're in the trial. You're not even paying us anything and hopefully get your first course launched and produced and everything in those first 28 days. That's an easy way to get started. If you go to our website, you could see countless videos and about other people who have done it, how easy it is, and some other success stories there too. And just kind of open your mind too. There's a hero wall on there. There's a link that says Kajabi Heroes and it just lists it shows the pictures of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of who we call Kajabi heroes. And those are people that have earned a thousand dollars or more selling their knowledge on Kajabi. When that happens, we send them a t-shirt, we ship them the t-shirt and ask that they just send us a selfie back wearing the t-shirt. So we've got all of these people on there, but it also lists what niche, what industry they're in. And you'll see some crazy ones, birth coaching and mountain bike riding, like I said, and there's a blacksmith on there. I mean, there's crazy niches. And sprinkler head buildings for <laughs> your kids. So Exactly, exactly. Anything you can think of us. So. All right. Well, Kenny, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. If someone wanted to say thank you for doing the interview, is there a best way for them to reach out and contact you to say that? Yeah. You know, I'm personally just getting a lot more involved on social media. You can find me currently on really just Twitter or Instagram, and it's Kenny Reader on both. Reader is spelled R-U-E-T-E-R. -E -E Everybody always mangles it, but come on by. I did when we started, so sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Spell it one more time so everyone knows. Yeah. K-E-N-N-Y. R-U-E-T-E-R. -E -E Instagram and Twitter. You can find me there. Feel free to send me a private message. I happily communicate with everybody who messages me and love to meet you. All right. Well, thank you for doing the interview, Kenny. Yeah. Thanks, Austin. It was fun. Flash forward to 2009 and I'm back in the golf business as a club pro and I get a message on my MySpace page from a 14-year-old kid in Mexico claiming that I was his father. You know, he says I impregnated his mom in the champagne room at a club in Cozumel on New Year's Eve in 1998. And I immediately called bullshit because I remember that night vividly. And there were at least five other guys with me uh, that were also prime candidates. So I have to go down there as part of a paternity hearing. And the night before I have to testify. So if you want to hear more interesting stories, just like this preview, well, become a Patreon member today. You know you're missing out. Just check the link in your episode description below to join the club or go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you in the membership forum.